If I get my part right, everybody does their part. Sorry about that. If you got your uh, church email this week, we uh, want you to check your junk folder because Google might have made a mistake. <laughs> and some people are saying that their emails are going to their junk folder, so please catch that. And um, if you aren't getting the church email but you would like to, we try to do a blast every week. And so we want to get you on that list to keep you up to speed on what's going on. One thing you would recognize from that email is at the end of the month or near the end of the month, there's an online prophetic conference that is led by LifeLinks, the group of churches that we're a part of. And if you are just interested, you, you've heard about prophetic prayer or you're interested or just me saying it, some interest and you want to know what it's about, we encourage you to register. It's like 20 bucks or something like that to, to take it in. And we really trust the people that are leading that. And so you'll get some good insight. And if you are uh, operating prophetic prayer, you will definitely learn and be strengthened and encouraged. So we encourage you to, to take that on. Uh, and uh, the offering box is at the back or you can give online. We are into the second month of the year, and we want to encourage you to follow God and trust Him in your finances as well. Don't wait till June or till the end of the year to decide where you're going to live in regards to generosity. Make generosity a start of your year right from the beginning, and you won't be playing catch-up at the end and just trust Him with your finances at whatever level you can do that allows you to give cheerfully. That's what the scripture scripture says is to get God loves a cheerful giver. So we want to encourage you to do that. Those of you who are watching online, thanks very much for being here with us today and trust you are sensing the Lord's presence where you're worshiping from. How many of you have ever been on a long journey or a long vacation? I don't mean like life. I mean like not a weekend trip to West Edmonton Mall. I don't mean just like seven days to the mountains and back where you're spending half of it traveling, but you've had the the privilege to do uh, the whole trip to Europe thing and you've done that in six months or some of those type of stories. In 2019, we, uh, my family got to spend three and a half months in Southeast Asia. And over the course of those three and a half months on a sabbatical, we were in six different countries. John Gormley, I heard advertised on the radio this past week, he's doing Cambodia and Vietnam and Angkor Wat and everything you can imagine in like 20 days. That'll be like a rush and it'll just be like touristing with a fire hose. You're just taking it all in. One of the things that got to happen when you're doing Southeast Asia in three and a half months is you actually start to absorb it. You're not just observing. You get affected by the culture. You get to know some of the people and it actually, you start to get saturated by what's going on in a different part of the world. And when we came back from Southeast Asia, there was a bunch of things that were affected in us that's still affected today, the way we view our, our world, the blessings that we have, our rights and freedoms, religious, uh, religious issues, issues of the Christian faith, politics, there's all sorts of things that are affected in your mindset when you are in the culture and the area of the world with what you've lived in and grown up in is totally different. And there's things to take away from that. And so... I want, I give that to you and submit that to you today as a little picture of why we're taking 40 days or 60 days in a focus on prayer. We can sometimes think prayer is important, so we hit on it once or twice during the year, or we add it into some, some sermons and services, but we actually want to soak and marinate in this idea of prayer, and in this first few weeks of it, we're going into our third week, and there's life groups this, this week, 
we are have been dealing with a bunch of kind of foundational issues the importance of the word of god the importance of community the importance of uh expecting to be able to gr- and grow as a follower of christ and committing to that and spiritual habits last week we talked about uh blowing up some myths about prayer we said prayer is not a magic wand prayer is not a fire extinguisher prayer is not a tug of war and a no- negotiation with god and prayer is not just medical to deal with your guilty conscience but rather there's way more to prayer because god we are to see the one who we are praying to god as our father and that he actually loves for us to talk to him he loves for us to talk to him he listens to sincere and simple prayer we said last week he likes to show his grace by answering prayer He actually wants to answer prayer in some way, shape, or form because it's one of the ways he shows grace to you and it becomes a testimony to the world around you. And then we wrapped it up by trying to to paint that picture really well of a God who is our Father who just longs to be close to us. That his desire is for us to be intimate and close to him. That we actually get to go to him not out of duty or ought or should, but because we have the privilege and the invitation and we would want to do that. In this next uh, next week, we're taking a pause in the sense of it's not one of the o- official messages or themes, but Pastor Ian Bird from Calgary is going to be speaking. It's a pre-recorded service on the long weekend. There's still two services happening here in the in the service, but it's it's a pre-recorded message, and there's no life groups that following week because we want you to pause. And to reflect, and sometimes even if we're doing it over six weeks, it can go by pretty quick. So we want you to look back at your sermon notes, look back at areas of sermons online on YouTube where where you want to re, re-look at what was talked about. And we want it to soak into you, and that kind of sets the next stage for going forward, because then we're going to talk about some specifics, like five areas of prayer, how to pray for healing and restoration, how to pray throughout your day, what to do when God says no. Some topics like that will flow. But first, these first three weeks are really foundational that if we don't have a good and healthy and proper understanding of who God is, it totally affects our prayer life. As as somebody called me a a couple weeks ago, a young man, and as somebody called me last week, an old man, (laughs) I consider myself somewhere in the middle. I'm happy to say I don't know where I'd sit in this church because it looks like the young adult section is all over the place. I want to just highlight all you guys in the young half of your life and uh, all us old guys. (laughs) All us old guys are humbled that and excited that you call this place home. But at this stage of my life, I get called a bunch of different things. I can get called Dallas. I can get called Pastor Dallas. Occasionally, I get called Reverend Dallas. And there's been a few times where people who aren't familiar with the Rock Church, perhaps, or they are just stopping in to see what's going on. I've actually been called Father Dallas as well, or just Father. Uh, my friend called me Bishop Beitler once, and uh, I've had I've been called a number of different things. But basically, if somebody calls me a Reverend or Father or Bishop, they don't really know who I am. 
they they don't know the qualifications for this job because this goofus would never be able to qualify for something that has that huge big lofty title and those of you who uh, know me and we love each other you call me dallas or pastor dallas and i prefer to be called anything actually except late for supper it's one of my favorite things to be called is for supper that was so smooth it slipped right past you it feels like And if you call me Pastor Dallas, it won't be long before I call you say to you, just call me Dallas. It's fine. But what the picture you should be getting from that is that proximity and closeness in relationship determines how you often talk to somebody. How you see and view and relate to somebody actually determines how you will talk to them. What you know about somebody determines the type of conversation you will have with them. And so what does that mean for today? Your understanding of what God is really like shapes everything in your life, including prayer. If your understanding of God is one way, which we're going to talk about, you are going to approach God in a way that he is not really, it it feels like a struggle and it feels like a burden because he's not designed to be approached that way. But he wants to be approached in a way where we are familiar and he is our father and we are his children. Nothing influences your life more than how you view God. I'm not just talking about prayer. I mean, your work, your family, your finances, your sexuality, the way you view God determines how you will live your life. Now, there's a lot of misconceptions, and I've hit on a couple of these before, but some people think God is a grumpy God, that he's cranky, that he's angry all the time. You can never please him. He's like this ogre in heaven. Some people think that God is like crouching tiger God, that he's just ready to pounce on any wrong thing that you do. Some people think that God is flaky father God, that is all over the map emotionally, and he, you can trust him with this one day, but the next day if you did the same thing, he's just all over the place. You can't, can't trust his emotional moodiness. Some people think God is cosmic cop, and that the whole idea of God is simply that this world needed a bunch of rules and now his job is to make sure we all follow the rules the dictator god that god just dictates everything that everybody's supposed to be doing and it's never going to be enough i've talked about the santa claus god that we view god just as our personal wish list or genie and and we he's just there to give us whatever we want and we can expect to get whatever we want as long as we are on the right side of the nice and naughty list at any given point we're actually asking something This one I've never said before. Some people might consider God to be a Plato God. Not Plato as in the philosopher. Plato as in where's the nursery? Like that hunk of clay that we want God to be whatever we shape him into. That we want the God of this universe to be the God of our design and that he should operate exactly as we think and create him to be. Another version of that from the toddler room would be Mr. Potato Head. You get to put whatever pieces you want about God wherever you want it to serve your most interest and the way you would like it to be. Maybe you would say something like, I think of God as a, well, the reality is nobody cares. (laughs) I don't know if I've ever said that as a pastor. Because it doesn't actually matter what you think God is like because there's only one actual God. God doesn't shift himself to fit in your mold of what you would like him to be at. God is God. And so it's really important that you know the real God. 
so that you can approach him. It's, if you have a misconception about God, prayer is going to be duty, it's going to be obligation, it's going to be boring, it's going to be rote and uh, just pro, pro, programmatic. That's not even a word, I don't think. I hope I get better at this for your sake. It's going to be a long service otherwise. We talked about guilt motivation last week. Guilt, if you feel guilty and pray based out of guilt alone, that prayer session lasts about as long as your guilt lasts. And we don't want to just pray based on guilt alone. So A.W. Tozer wrote, What comes to your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you because it affects everything in your life. What comes to your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you because it affects everything else in your life. Consider that for a second. Your view of God shapes how you will live your life out, not just in prayer, but in so many areas. We, we understand God to be all-knowing or omniscient. He's all-powerful, omnipotent. He's omnipresent, which means he can be everywhere at the same time. The Bible says he's holy. The Bible says he's just. He's kind. He's loving. He's faithful. There are many, many characteristics about God, but this morning we're focused on, and you see it in your notes, that because of the goodness of God, that's the basis we have for prayer. If God is not a good God, there's zero reason to pray, actually. And you'll definitely have zero motivation to pray. People say, why is there evil in the world? That is actually a fairly simple answer. If you go down the train of thought, I'm taking us for a moment. God doesn't force us to do good. He's given us a free will. And so we see what has happened with free will. In the brokenness of human nature, bad happens because from our place of free will we have made all sorts of choices and they've been line upon line decade upon decade century upon century to see the level and and complexity of the brokenness that is in the world today so it's not really hard to explain why there's evil because it's the result of a whole bunch of bad sinful choices that come from sinful people the harder thing to explain is why is there good in the world if human nature tends to lead to brokenness, and we see so much brokenness in the world. Why is there good in the world? If you believe in random chance and you believe in survival of the fittest, then everything out there is dog-eat-dog. We got winners and we got losers. The real reason why there's good in the world is because God is good. God is the one bringing good into the world. And because he brings good into the world, you can actually enjoy your relationship and enjoy prayer with him that it's not duty and delight. Some people might say, I just don't love God enough. And they pull out the whip and they whip their back and say, love God more, love God more. I've done that. Anybody here done that online? Have you done that? If I just love God more, I obviously would want to spend more time with him, but I don't love God enough, so I've got to make myself love God more. It's the wrong line of reasoning. The real line of reasoning to go down is to pursue the idea of how much does God love you? Pardon me. How much does God love you? The problem is not that you don't love God enough. 
The problem is you don't understand how much he loves you. And when you get to the point of understanding in a greater degree how much God loves you, so many of these issues such as pushing after prayer become non-issues because our heart is stepping into it. So today I want to look at four, four or five implications of the goodness of God in your life. So number one, because God is always good, God plans, God's plans for my life will always be good. Because God is good, his plans for my life will always be good. People say, is there anything God can't do? We just sang the song, anything is possible. Well, everything is possible within God's nature, but there actually are some things that God cannot do. He can't be evil because he's good. He cannot deny himself. He cannot go outside of his character. So anything that is outside the character of God, he can't do and he won't do. And because God is good, he can only do that which is good. So God's plans for the followers of Jesus is that the plans would always be good. Jeremiah 29:11. God's saying, "I know what I have planned for you," says the Lord. "I have good plans for you, not plans to hurt you. My plans will give you a hope and a good future. And when you call to me and you pray, I will listen to you." See the connection between purpose and prayer, calling out and to God's good plans. We want to be assured and affirmed in that. Now, where I'm not going today, is carrying on in that passage that you can wrestle with and talk about amongst yourselves is after God says that verse, they go into exile for decades. And so God's plans for them are good, but they're still the results and the consequences of what went on earlier as a nation. And so God's plans can't just be seen in the immediate situational, but his plans are good over the long term. He made a plan for you. You're not an accident. He has a purpose. He's made everything with a purpose. And why did he give you a plan? And why did he give you you a purpose? Because he loves you. And he wants you to know that so much because it will drive and direct the rest of your life. When When God's plans are pursued because you recognize how much he loves you, you're going to understand more and more what that plan is. If you're struggling to know, there's so many young adults here, struggling to know what next steps are, what your next season in life is going to look like, pursue Jesus, get settled in his love, follow after him, and let him decide what steps are going next, and follow him. And when you make a mistake, which I hope you do, because us old guys would feel really bad if you guys make it through unscathed. That's part of life is recognizing that he doesn't just love you when you are able to follow his plan perfectly, but when you've made your own choice that you recognize that he's not going to reject you. He's forgiving you and bringing you back. And every plan, every road, every path leads to his plan for your life if you continue to surrender along the way. The more you pray, the more you're going to understand who God is and then in turn, God's plan for your life. Psalm 31:19 God your goodness is so great you have stored up great blessings for those who honor you Notice that phrase stored up You store up for a rainy day in your bank account. Joseph stored up grain in Egypt before the famine was coming. You store up in advance of when they're needed. What can you take away from this verse? 
God's plan for your life indicates that he is already storing up blessings and treasures for you for the rest of your life. That as we continue to follow him, those blessings start to unfold and start to be poured out into your life. He's a good God. He's a great God. And his goodness is great. You do so much for those who come to you for protection, blessing them before the watching world. God doesn't just love to answer prayer for your sake. He loves to answer it because it's one of the ways he shows the world who he is and his character. And he wants the watching world to know who he is. He wants the watching world to know that his love is favor on those who will surrender their life and become his children. We have to, through this journey of 40 days of prayer, have to become confident in our approach to the throne of grace that we can ask. And that he's inviting us to ask and to deal in the realm of blessings. Yes, he wants to know the pain. Yes, he wants to know the hurt. Yes, blessings is not about a financial dollar or owning a special car. Blessings is about his hand on your life, guiding and directing you into what his purposes and plans are for your life. You want to be blessed? How can people live blessed in countries where they have no um, material blessings like us? Because the actual blessing isn't just about material blessing. It's about relationship. It's about what God wants to do in our life and his call that he has on his life. People can miss it when they think, okay, God, you say that my life is supposed to be good, that you don't have any bad plans, that your plans aren't meant to hurt me, but yet sometimes it feels that way. Sometimes it feels like you're just trying to get even with me. Sometimes it makes, it feels like you're punishing me. God doesn't, isn't about getting even with people. God isn't about trying to get even with people at all. He's not mad at you. He's mad about you. He's in love with you. God didn't promise that everything would be good in the midst of him being in love with you. We live on a broken, we live on a broken planet. Our physical bodies break down, our relationships can break down, our workplaces can break down, the weather can be unseasonably cold. Everything on this planet, nothing seems to be perfect. So that's why God didn't say, I promise you perfection. That's called heaven. Perfection is what we get to go to next as a part of the eternal plan. In heaven, there'll be no sorrow, no sadness, no sickness, no suffering. But here there is brokenness. But God can take our good stuff and he can take our dumb and stupid decisions and disobedience. And when we surrender it all to him as his children, he redeems it and he packages it and he weaves it together to be something beautiful. We sang it when we started the service today, graves into garden. He takes death and turns it into life. He takes crucifixions and he makes resurrections. You think you've messed something up? You think you've screwed something up? His joy is to take what you think you've lost and redeem and restore it. Thank you. I'm preaching better than your amen. And <laughs> you guys on the chat, type in an amen for somebody else. Romans 8:28. We know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. 
If you say, God, I give you my life. I want to have a relationship with you. I want to fulfill the purpose you made me for. That's what makes us a child of God. Us putting our, acknowledging we're sinners, putting our trust in Jesus, asking him to save us and becoming his children. The problem or the reality about Romans 8.28 is that it is not for the whole world. God has created everybody, but Romans 8.28 is only for those who call him father. They're only for those who surrender their lives to Jesus and have accepted his forgiveness and his salvation freely. That's the, those are the ones that can rest in the reality that God will turn everything out and work everything out for his purposes and for good. We don't know how that happens. But it's amazing that it can, how he can work all of that together. Pull out the trusty black table again for a third Sunday in a row. I really like cake. Some of you can tell. I'm a fan. And so here I've got some of the elements of cake, flour. I tried a spoonful of it. It doesn't actually taste that good. It, it, it doesn't taste like cake at all, actually. I, ta- I, I drank a few tablespoons of oil. Didn't really turn out that good. Not that enjoyable. Have you ever tried to pound this cocoa? That is not like a chocolate bar in powder form. That does not taste good. It tastes bitter. You don't see chefs in the kitchen just drinking vanilla saying, oh, there's my liquid cake. I don't need to go through the work of making this today. Baking powder. You don't want to you don't want to just eat that. That's like bitter and gross. This might be the only real thing. Salt, you don't want to pound that by the tablespoon. This might be the only bag that I want to go after wholeheartedly by myself. Bag of sugar. So I got the man-sized version. Our lives are like a cake. It's got elements to it. It needs the base stuff, our base realities, like the flour. It needs the sweet stuff and the joy and the encouragement to keep moving forward. But the only way you actually get good-tasting cake is to add in the salt and to add in the baking powder and the bitterness, the bitter pieces that actually make a, a cake turn out. You will not have the life God designed you for if you try to avoid all the bitter, difficult, troubling situations. He actually may not cause the trouble, but he will allow it because he uses it to redeem it into a situation that is tasty for your life, so to speak. Thank you. You can tell this donut came from the first service. I said I wouldn't eat as big of a bite because it took too long to swallow, but I did the same thing. That donut is delicious, glazed. That's the best tasting flour I've ever had, perhaps, because it's mixed in with everything that it needs. Happy Valentine's, by the way. On the way out, everybody gets a donut from the, from the bakery down the street. Sorry to those of you online. If you live in the city, I'm happy to deliver donuts to you this afternoon if you text in. Rick Warren says this, God takes the bitter, puts it in the batter in order to make you better. Allow the bitter to go into the batter so that you can become better. The more you pray, the better you're going to know your purpose and the better some of these things you won't have. I had a conversation with a guy about five or seven years ago 
going through some difficult stuff. He says, when I get to the end of this, God better answer my, give me understanding about what took place. God isn't going to answer that kind of stuff. He doesn't have, we, there's going to be some things that we get no answer for in regards to why things took place. But we do know that God wants to use even the bitter, difficult stuff. I have donut on my teeth. Good. <laughs> Genesis chapter 50, verse 20 is where Joseph is, his dad has died. The brothers are there. He's done the whole emperor of assistant in Egypt. And the brothers are now afraid that Joseph is going to execute them now that dad has gone away. And Joseph says, your plan was to hurt me, but God turned your evil plan into a good plan to save the lives of many people. Joseph went through hell. Would you agree? Sold into slavery. Thrown into jail and left to rot. Guys, he helped for left him in jail. And yet, at the right time, he was put into the place that God had originally designed him for. It wasn't his fault, but it was allowed, and it's called redemptive suffering. Sometimes we suffer for our own purposes, and that God can use that in our own lives, but sometimes we suffer for the benefit of other people, and for the blessing of what God wants to do in the kingdom. That's what Jesus did for you. That's what Jesus did for me. He did not die for his own sins. We all know that, but we don't always connect the dots to, he actually suffered for my sin. He actually suffered for my wrongdoing. He had no part in it. He didn't have to be a, become a player in my redemption. He chose to. He has redeemed suffering. If anyone can bring good out of bad, it is God. So many people can celebrate goodness and they can make good things happen when things are going well. But only God can make things happen come out of bad the way he can romans 5 3 so we can rejoice when we run into problems and trials really we can rejoice when we run into problems for we know that they are good for us they help us learn patient endurance happiness is not dependent on your situation we think that our life will be dependent on situations. There are so many people with horrible situations living a happy life because the same situation engaged by two different people and the way they view God or the way they handle situations makes one bitter and one better. That the situations of life handled differently can bring out total different results. We can't depend on the situation to make us happy. We have to depend on trusting God and running to him and allowing problems and trials to be used for our good. For our, our good pardon me. He's going to use the bad stuff he wants you to know. And for the children of God, it's a promise to us that he will redeem and restore that which comes from suffering. God's much more interested in your character and what you become than your comfort. You don't get to take your car to heaven. You don't get to take your house to heaven. You don't need get to take your fancy new digs to heaven. The only thing you're taking to heaven is you. You can't even take your family to heaven. You can pray for them, but they've all got their own choices to make. 
And so what does God want to take to heaven? He wants to grow you. He wants to mature you on this earth. And he's saying, I'm going to use it all. God's more interested in your character. And he can bring good out of bad. Write this sentence down. Everything God does in my life, he does for my good. Everything God does in my life, he does for my good. He's not trying to get even with you. He's trying to grow you. And he does it for our good because he is God. Number two, because God is always good, God always gives me what I need, not what I deserve. God always gives me what I need, not what I deserve. If you and I got what we deserved, we wouldn't even be here. Psalms 103, verse 10, and then verse 12. He, God, has not treated us as we deserve. He has not treated us as we deserve for our sins or paid us back for our wrongs. Jesus already did that. We cannot pay for our own sins. If we could pay for our own sins, then Jesus would not have had to die. And when he forgives us, he moves, he removes our sin as far as the east in from his, from the west. In his goodness, he has taken our sins away and removed them as far as the east is from the west. If God has forgiven you, you need to forgive yourself. God forgives you not because you're good. God does not forgive you based on your own goodness. We see in the life of David and then that sin with Bathsheba where he had a man, a wife's husband killed so that he could cover up a sin and then marry her himself. Psalms 51 in response to that. God in your goodness have mercy on me, David writes. Have mercy on me, wash away all my guilt and make me clean again. From my sin, cleanse me. And what did God do? He welcomed him back. He received him back. He's a merciful God and he wants to show us mercy by forgiving our sins. It's the exact opposite of our world. You sin today. What does this, what society do? What's the word of the day? You get canceled. You can get canceled in your family, canceled in society, canceled as a celebrity. But, the, but God will not reject us. He welcomes us back. He will never, ever, ever, ever reject you. Psalm 27, verse 10 to 13. Even if my father and mother abandon me, the Lord will hold me close. My enemies are waiting for me to fail. Yet I remain confident that I'll see the goodness of the Lord while I'm here in the world. You messed up, you screwed up, you made a big mistake. God is the author of second and third and fifth and hundredth chances. He's good and gracious. And he's so gracious, he keeps bringing us back to himself so that we can actually get onto a different path and not have to go in that cycle and that circle all the time. But we have to grow in our confidence. Hebrews chapter 4, 15 and 16, in talking about Jesus The author writes, Jesus understands our weakness, our temptations. He has faced all the same temptations that we do, yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly with confidence. Let us come boldly with confidence to the throne of our gracious and good God. 
And there we will receive his mercy and we will find the grace to help us when we need it. We are invited to approach confidently that he is wanting us to come to him. Number three, because God is always good, God puts my good above his own good. That's a statement that I haven't really heard in the Christian faith or in Bible school or in churches very much. God puts my good above his own good. But actually, that's one of the most exciting statements there is to make because it's the heart of the gospel. It's the goodness of the gospel. It's the truth of the gospel that a God who did no wrong, who was perfect, who created this world, had a bunch of his creations that he meant to have relationship with and to love back and forth with, turn their back on that almighty God that he himself would sacrifice himself and surrender himself on the cross for our good. His, he sacrificed his good for our good. That was, that's what makes our faith so different from every other storyline. Fairy tales in Disney to real life conflicts in the world. People are supposed to die for king and country. And when you follow God, our father, he dies for the peons and the peasants. Hence Dallas Butler gets to be in. That's the hope of the gospel is that the king died for the people rather than the people dying for the king. God didn't have any sins. Rather, he came to give the ultimate expression of love in John chapter 10, verse 14 and 15. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, my own sheep, and they know me, and I will sacrifice my life for my sheep. The greatest love you can have is to lay down your life, and Jesus did that. For us, But Jesus didn't just die to pay for the sins. He did something amazing. He imputes his goodness. He fills us with Christ. There is like this great exchange from our sin to his grace and mercy. And now we are brothers, blood brothers with Jesus Christ. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, it's not in your notes, but you'd do well to write down this reference and look it up. 2 Corinthians 5.21 God took the sinless Christ and poured into him all our sins. Then in exchange, he poured God's goodness into us. When God looks at you, he doesn't see a past sinner. He sees God's goodness. He sees his child. That's the great exchange. Romans 4.25, Jesus died for our sins and rose again to make us right with God, filling us with God's goodness so what does going down the story of the gospel and that jesus came to die for sinners and us needing to put our faith in him so that we can experience his love and his blessing and his family what does that have to do with prayer it has everything to do with prayer because when we get an understanding of who god is and what he's done for us we can then read romans chapter 8 verse 32 since God did not spare even his own son, but gave Christ up for us all, won't he now also give us everything else we need? He paid the big price not to scorn all the little stuff of our life. I did the big work, children. I saved your lives. I rescued you. I'll see you in heaven when you make your way there. No, he didn't save us to leave us on our own. He saved us to buy all of us, all of our our sin and brokenness, all our personality, all of our character, 
And that as he purchased all of us, he's now responsible for all pieces of us. <laughs> it's not that he wants to leave your uh, relationships to the side while you do the big spiritual work of relationship with God. No, that falls under the umbrella of relationship with God because you, you bring your relationships with you. You bring your characteristics with you. You bring your character with you. You bring your views of the world with you. And so we want to surrender that with God and we want to talk about what interests us so that Holy Spirit can infuse that with his truth and his power and we get shaped and formed into who he's originally created us to be. Number four, because God is good, he does not say yes to every request. There's nothing in the Bible that says that everything you ask for, you're going to get. We talked about it last week, that a parent isn't going to say yes to everything that a child asks for. It would be destruction. It would actually be harmful and hurtful, and it would be the worst thing a parent could do for their child. I said last week that God answers every single prayer in some way, shape, or form. And this is the way he answers prayer. When the request is not right, God says no. You see that in the five ways God answers your prayer. When the request is not right, God says no. Parents say no to their kids for hundreds of reasons. And God does not need to give us an explanation as his children for when he says no. But there's times when the request is right, not right, and as a good, good father, he chooses to say no. Secondly, when the timing is not right, God says slow. There may be requests, and we may make prayers to God and ask things of God, but the time is not just right. There's a big difference between a delay and a denial. A wait is not a no, but it takes a mature believer or a maturing believer to understand that and to stay calm and patient and not become the toddler that demands instant gratification and an instant answer the way they want it. A mature child, a maturing child and young adult and adult is able to handle delayed gratification. And a, and a waiting period. And God is saying, yeah, this is going to happen at some time. It's not just going to, but it's not going to happen now. And we have to wait. God says slow. Sometimes the request is right. Sometimes um, the timing is okay. But there's times when you're not right. And so in those moments, God says, when, the time, when you're not right, he says grow. Point C. Sometimes he says no because or wait because he says you have to grow first. Sometimes we can't carry what we're asking for. Sometimes we can't do what we would like. The little kid walking past the, the car lot and the shininess would love to drive a car, but they can't handle the responsibility of a car. And so sometimes we can't handle what we would actually be given. So we have to grow first. And then sometimes when the request is right and we're right and the timing's right, that's when God says, point D, God says go. That it's a yes. It's a green light. It's all systems get to move ahead. And those are fun and exciting times when that happens. But the fifth one is, as we've talked about over the last few weeks a couple times, that sometimes we ask for something and God doesn't just say yes. He says yes and. And it's God says more. 
that there's more to what you could even possibly think, exceedingly abundantly more, and God blesses us with even more. But to be honest, it's easy to trust God when things are good, no sweat, but it's when things are going bad can we trust when things aren't working out when you aren't seeing the changes when you're not getting the answers when life seems dark when you feel alone or afraid or or stuck is God still good your test of faith is not how high you can jump when things are going well when this worship service is pumping and everything is going great the test of faith is how straight you walk and how close you follow Jesus when everything sucks Can we still trust in the goodness of God when we didn't get the job, when we made the bad business deal, when we just get fired? Our plans, can we still trust that God's plans for his life, for our life, pardon me, are good when things don't work out? We're we're, we're working with Saddleback's curriculum of 40 Days in Prayer, but it's about 15 years ago I read an article and about Rick Warren, and he was quoted in that article saying something to this effect, and he talked about the, the railroad track of life and how there seems to be one rail where everything's going positive and one rail where things are difficult or negative, and it takes both rails to move your train down the track or your life down the track. One of those points in life is when he had just written the book, The Purpose Driven Life, one of the most famous um, Christian books ever to be written. Many people have come to Christ through that book. And at the same time of that book, his wife was diagnosed with cancer. And she had a horrendous, horrendous journey. And he talks about holding the bedpan to catch her vomit as she went through chemo and radiation. And how people around the world were praying and it was seeming like there was no traction. It ends well because she's still, they, they are still, uh, she was, went through the treatment and and became whole and they're they're still together but it was difficult it was tearing them tearing at his heart that god wasn't answering those prayer in the most difficult time rick warren lost his youngest son after his youngest son lost his lifelong battle with mental illness and he took his own life We aren't preaching these messages from just the God answers all our prayers eventually the way we want so we all feel happy, lucky, and bouncy. Not everything that happens in the world is good. Not everything that happens in the world is God's will. There are a lot of things that God doesn't want to happen, but he's given us a free choice. The ultimate test of our faith is when we can say like Job after he lost his family, lost his wealth, lost his crops, lost his business, lost his health, and loses everything. Job was able to say through the journey, you give and take away, you give and take away, but my heart will choose to say, Lord, blessed be your name. It's maturity when we can... recognize God as a good, good father in the midst of horrible loss and difficult situations. Even the bad things God can use and will say, I'll fit that into the plan as well. God is not guaranteed a pain-free life. It's not God's plan or responsibility to make every moment of your life easy. But what does that mean when we're in pain and we're praying and we feel like we desperately need answers? Does that mean we give up? We keep praying, we keep trusting, we keep searching, and then we trust him. 
And we accept the no or the slow or the grow or the go or the more because we can trust that even when we're in pain, he's a good, good father. If a doctor cuts you open and performs a surgery and a a life-saving procedure and sews you back up and you're still in pain after the surgery takes place in the healing process, is he a bad doctor? He's a hero. Saved your life. Saved my life. The pain may not always end immediately, but his grace is sufficient. We talked about he's more more, uh, interested in our character and our comfort. If we were to take that a step further, the reality is there's probably very little maturing and growing and healing I've done from just the comfortable places of life. It's actually in the pain where you learn. It's in the pain where you stretch. It's in the pain where you're pressed with the realities of what you believe and the realities of who God is. And it's in those difficult things where growth happens. We can learn, as Rick Warren says, boatloads through pain. And often that's how we need to learn it. God is making you, he's making me into a man of God. He's making you into women of God. The comfort of heaven is going to go on for trillions and trillions of years. But in this earth, pain is a part of our development, our maturing. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9 says, My thoughts are completely different from yours, and my ways are far from any beyond anything you could imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. Last point, number five, because God is always good, he invites us to live with him forever. God wants to show you his goodness while you're here on earth, and then he's going to show it to you forever and ever and ever in eternity for those of us who call him father. Second Thessalonians says, Our Lord Jesus Christ and God our Father who loves us has given us by his grace an everlasting encouragement and a good hope that will last forever. May this encourage your heart and give you strength for the good thing you do and say. That promise of heaven, that promise of eternity, that promise of everlasting good is supposed to help inform and strengthen us for our day-to-day actions. Psalm 23, possibly the most famous passage in scripture in verse 6 says, Surely goodness, God's goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Until you are absolutely convinced that God is a good God, that he's always good and that he never does bad in your life, until you understand that level of goodness, our prayers are basically basically going to be powerless, passionless, and pointless because we don't know who we're actually approaching. But when we get the picture and understanding that God is good and good all the time in the midst of all that is going on in this world, now your prayers are transformed. They become purposeful. They, be, they have a point and they are passionate because you have power in your prayer. You have, a, you have trust in who you are approaching. I want you to commit during this season of 40 days of prayer and more. To learn and to grow and to be disciplined and discipled into how we are to pray. The Bible talks about Satan as an enemy. And there's a whole bunch of things that don't really affect Satan too much. 
But a couple things that do affect Satan and that he's scared of is your prayer and the unity of the body of Christ. And so what do I, what do I want to say by mentioning that? Is that as you choose to pursue God in prayer and you choose to rest in his amount of love for you that he has for you, you can understand that the enemy is not going to be happy with that. He prefer, if you're going to be a Christian, just be lukewarm or casual or sit or sing a couple songs, but don't get in my way. Don't do work in the kingdom. But when you start to pray and you get to understand who God is and he starts to infiltrate our lives in a greater degree, all of a sudden we're an adversary of the devil in a new and fresh way. And he wants to push back. And so we use a phrase around here sometimes, if it smells like hell, you know where it came from. If it smells like hell, you know where it came from. So if all of a sudden you're feeling jealous, if you're all of a sudden gossiping, if you're all of a sudden doing things that aren't listed in the fruit of the spirit that seem to hit you from nowhere, if all of a sudden I'll pray tomorrow, I'll read, to, I'll read the Bible tomorrow, I'll talk about God tomorrow, if everything starts to get delayed, everything starts to feel heavy, heavy everything starts to feel opposite of how you really know Jesus would want you to be, not even everything, just an area I want you to be aware that that definitely could be a spiritual attack and an influence of the enemy going after you. And when something smells like hell, we send it back to where it came from. So there's stuff that's character. You got a habit or a trait that's not of God. We want Holy Spirit to transform that and change that in our life. But where it's actually an attack of the enemy, we want to call it what it is, rebuke it, and send it to Jesus. That he would send that to wherever he would want to send that. That we don't have to be enter, be influenced and overwhelmed by satanic and demonic attack. Because the devil wants to hold us back from moving ahead in prayer. So would you do that with me? Would you, would you take an extra level being extra gracious with those around you and understanding as a congregation what could be going on in some people's lives? Pray for each other and be extra gracious to yourself to run to Jesus about what you're being affected by. And if somebody acts out of sort... Somebody walks out the door of this church and takes your donut right out of your hand that you know they would never normally act like that. You can know that they might be influenced by the enemy. (laughs) There could even be worse stuff than donut theft. Want you to be aware of that and be aware of, of church unity. That one of the ways the enemy stalls out the work of the church is to get us divided. The churches have split and divided for all sorts of reasons. The most simplest one I ever heard of was a church in the States, a large church. They had two flags at the pulpit, the American flag and the Christian flag. And there was a debate about which one should be higher. And the church split over that. We have to be aware and to love each other and prefer one another over ourselves. Psalm chapter 119, verses 37 to 39. Let's end it together. Would you read with me? Lord, keep me from paying attention to what is worthless. Instead, let me live by your word. I want to obey your principles. Please renew my life with your goodness. This week, will you pray with me and in the weeks ahead that God would revive your heart, my heart, that he would revive your life group, And then he would revive this church. Say it with me if you will do it. 
I will pray for God to revive my life. Revive my life. Revive my life. Revive my life group. Revive my church. Would you bow your heads with me? Heavenly Father, thank you that you love us and that you have created us not just to watch us run around on this world, in this world, but to have relationship with us. Thank you that you created us on purpose and with a plan in mind. And so we thank you that your plans for us are good. We don't have to doubt that when we've surrendered our lives to you. If there's anyone in this room that you have not purposed to live your life for God and you have not asked for forgiveness of your sin and you have not asked for his love to fill you, you can just pray this after me. It's not a magic formula. It's just some words that might express the intent of your heart. Dear Jesus, thank you that you love me. Thank you that you died for me. Thank you that your plans for me are good. I admit I'm a sinner. I ask you to forgive me, to fill me, to make me new with your love. And I choose to follow you and your ways in Jesus' name. And Father, I pray that for all of us, whether we just prayed that prayer now or we've prayed it many times over our lifetime, that you would overwhelm us with your character of love and goodness and that we would run and go after you as you run and pursue us. Help us be settled in your goodness and may it affect and touch every area of our life. If there's ever any unconscious area, layered level, layers of our life that is being affected because we just aren't captivated, gripped, and transformed by your love, Will you go after that and root that out of us and heal us as a good, good father? In Jesus' name, amen.